Hello, I'm Kevin Howlett and I'm with uh, Mark Ellen and we have the wonderful task of talking about the delights that you can hear on the Anthology 2 collection. And this covers the Beatles' output from early 1965 through to February 1968. It's an era, I think, when they become the ultimate record makers. They really start to discover the studio and it's so fascinating to hear what they're doing in the studio, the experiments they're doing. This is the era that covers Help, Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper. It's the sort of pop emperors then very gradually merging to being the psychedelic voyagers, isn't it? So experimental. And this is the time when they start to do remakes. They have the time to record a track, get somebody to do a rough monomix of it, have it cut to an acetate disc, take it home, listen to it, and then a few days later come back and think, do you know what, I think we could probably do that differently. So on this collection, you get some alternative takes of songs and a few that I really like. For example, when they were recording Rubber Soul, they did a version of I'm Looking Through You. And to all intents and purposes, that could be a master take. Oh, it's amazing. It. They worked on it for 11 hours in the studio, I think. And there's a 12-bar instrumental, isn't there? There's a yeah. solo in this. It's a very early version. And it's very soul-influenced, because I think in this era, they, they loved soul music. Stax records, I know that George was particularly into to soul. And, uh, and in fact, there's an attempt at a Booker T and the MGs type instrumental on this collection as well, just called 12-bar original, uh, where, where they're trying to beat Booker That's T and absolutely. the MGs. But uh, when they do I'm Looking Through You, it sounds finished. But the thing is, Paul then comes up with another section for the song. Yes. Why tell me why? Yeah, completely Do you not treat it. me right? So they have that. to re-record it. But the speed at which they do things, they, they recorded, I think, 11 tracks in six days for help. And one of those was Yes It Is, which is just brilliant. It's that wonderful waltz. It's got the three-part harmony that became the trademark for later on for Because and for things like This Boy. And John is just making the song up, really. It's under construction as he sings, doesn't it? He's making up the words and at one point just dissolves into laughter and goons-type humour. But I love the little details, and it's such a collaborative effort. Everything's done as, as a group. They're all looking for the other one's input into how to arrange and perform the songs. There's a lovely bit where Paul starts playing Yesterday. And you imagine that Yesterday was always going to be a solo song. Not true. There he is. You can hear him teaching the chords to George. Yes, because he's tuned down his acoustic guitar by a tone. So he said, you know, it's in G for me, but it'll be an F for you. That's right. And so it seemed, yes, they were going to do a band version. But again, I love this about their approach to recording. What serves the song best? Well, OK, we'll just have Paul play acoustic guitar and sing, and then we'll have this beautiful string quartet. Not sugary, sentimental strings, but a kind of chamber music, baroque kind of string yeah, quartet. Brilliant decision. And also, they did another brilliant string-arranged performance for Eleanor Rigby. And I love the fact that on this collection, you can hear George Martin's score being played by this double string quartet without any of the vocals on the top. You can really hear all the details, can't you? It's absolutely exquisite. You're not distracted by the singing. You get to the point listening to these things when you're so familiar with the finished version and when you hear a version without all those details on them, in your head you start filling them in. There's a version a bit later on of I Am The Walrus. And I found myself listening to that and sort of going, are you, sir? Sit you down, father, rest you. Those things are just completely built into your memory. And and Uh, that's so fascinating because uh, having heard the basic version you've then got to think up all these embellishments that now just become absolutely inextricably linked to the song. It's that quantum leap that they make, the imagination that comes into finishing a song. You have the feeling that other groups 
would have maybe done a few more layers but not got to the ultimate level That's of right. what they do. The best example of works in progress, I think, is Strawberry Fields because I think there's three versions of it, which is just wonderful. So you can see its evolution. You can see the whole gestation of the song. It starts off as a little tiny finger-picked, almost like a folk song, and then you get the kind of in-the-studio, slightly more multi-layered, kind of partially constructed masterpiece. And then you get a third version, which is almost exactly as it uh, appears on the record. Yeah, but it, it's Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane. What a double A-side. And uh, the, the evolution of Penny Lane is just as interesting as Strawberry Fields yes, Forever. Yes, uh, the, the way that Paul layered all these keyboard parts at the beginning. This is the start of when they're not necessarily all playing together at the beginning of a take. So it's just maybe drums and a piano, and then they layer and layer and layer. I remember George saying about uh, Sergeant Pepper, it got a bit bitty. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's their approach to that. Later, they, they would reverse that approach. But in this period, towards the end of this period that Anthology 2 is covering, it's very much layering and layering different bits, bringing in outside instrumentalists. So all those interesting textures on Penny Lane, the woodwind, the cor anglais, all those things are added and it is an absolute masterpiece and Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields Forever, when you hear these early versions on Anthology 2, it just really improves your enjoyment of the master, I think just to know Absolutely. how it got there Absolutely, you see the whole process One song that really uh, is extraordinary to hear, I think, is Tomorrow Never Knows which is an extraordinary song anyway, but to hear this original take a very early version of it you know, the Beatles are already leaping into the future. Although the version of it here is, it still needs a lot of work. It's nothing like the one that they eventually released. No, because the final one with all the tape loops and backwards guitar and all the effects they put on it is an absolute masterpiece. But you can just see the germ of the idea, the drone. It's just on one chord, yes, basically. The, the bass just plays one note, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so it's so fascinating to see how they got from Mark One, as they called it, to Tomorrow Never Knows. Really interesting to hear how they experimented in the studio. And one of my favourite songs on here is a version of Andrew Bird Can Sing. The track that uh, John and Paul are overdubbing vocals on is very birds-like. You know, if you know the, the music of the birds, yeah. and it's, it's, it, you can hear that jangly sort of guitar. They remake the whole thing completely for Revolver later on, and, and they have a lovely guitar riff that's played by John and George. But you can hear in the background this early version of Annual Bird Can Sing, but John and Paul are just giggling their just way through. Just falling about. Doesn't he say, when your bike is broken, will it bring you down? Which is just great. Yeah. Another one uh, that's worth hearing just for the, for the atmosphere is, is How You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, where Paul breaks a glass. And I can now never listen to that song without thinking that Paul's broken a glass, you know. Yeah, and John and, sings, doesn't he? Uh, Paul's broken, broken a glass, glass broken, broken a glass. glass. A glass, a glass he's broke today. Which is absolutely <laughs> like Again, I can't listen to that song now without hearing that in my head. And that's the first time we hear uh, John call Paul Macca on recording. That's right. He says, are you ready, Macca? Yeah. I know. And I find it impossible to hear A Day in the Life without... John's voice, Sugar Plum Fairy, Sugar Plum Fairy, when he counts you in. Well, A Day in the Life is a great example of how they built a track. and It's a great song to begin with, or two songs in effect, because you have Paul's song in the middle, which just happens to fit with John's song. But they worked on the lyrics of the rest of A Day in the Life together. But they obviously knew that they needed to do something, but they didn't quite know what to do at that point. So they have Mal Evans, their roadie, counting out 24 bars in the middle and at the end. And then, of course, what they decide to do is put an orchestra doing something completely random, every instrument going from the going lowest, the lowest note, note to the highest, to the highest note. note. And 
It's organised noise, so can, really. It is. You can listen to this and fill in the gaps in your head. And on the anthology collection, you can hear that orchestral recording in isolation. They've stripped away all the rest of the track and you can just hear what the orchestra is doing. And it's an amazing noise that they're it's making. astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. And, and so avant-garde to do that at the time. You know, that that's really out there, avant-garde classical music they're doing. And they've put it into this mainstream pop album. But there's another uh, extraordinary thing, I think, is the instrumental version of Within You, Without You. And it just reminded me of how much impact that song had at the time. In the middle of a great big Western pop record was this extraordinary Eastern music. And when you hear it, this is just the instrumental without George's vocal. When you hear it, you realise that it was George's vocal and his lyric and the sound of his voice that gave it that Western pop sensibility that managed to make Eastern music fit in a Beatles record. Yehudi Menuhin had just done a collaboration with Ravi Shankar, so you had that West meets East flavour. And that's what you get with George Martin's score as well. You get those strings slurping and sliding with the Indian instruments. So you get Western and East all together on Within You Without You. And again, hearing it without the vocals, you can hear it so clearly. And it's extraordinary to hear that detail. If you concentrate on the individual instruments, I mean, the drumming, Ringo's drumming on Good Morning is absolutely astonishing. The input they provided for each other's songs, you know, the, the sense that they were always a collaborative unit is so obvious from listening to these records. And we really ought to play which song was sensibly abandoned and which one should have been released, because I think sensibly abandoned, there's a, there's a, a song called If You've Got Trouble, which is really just the Beatles writing to formula. And there's one called That Means A Lot, which I think is a Paul McCartney song, which, which contains the lyric, love can be deep inside, love can be suicide, which I don't think would have been a terrifically commercial <laughs> manoeuvre on their part. So they sensibly didn't release those under the Beatles' name. The great track that should have been released earlier, it was eventually released, was Across the Universe, because there's a version of Across the Universe here, well worth hearing. There are lots of different versions of Across the Universe now in the Beatles catalogue. It first came out on a charity album for the World Wildlife Fund. That's a version with effects and some girls singing on it who, who just happened to be outside the studio and were invited in. And then, of course, it was overdubbed by Phil Spector with a lavish orchestra and choir for the Let It Be album. But this early take of Across the Universe is very simple, extremely moving. And I am just astounded that it wasn't considered for the White Album. It was recorded just before they went to India. And then when they came back from India, they started work on the White Album. But they didn't even think of a track that they'd recorded in February of 1968 as being a contender for the White Album. Astonishing. And it's interesting that that's still in that period of really complicated, multi-layered, multi-track recording. Yeah, so this Anthology 2 collection is really when they're being ultimate record makers, pushing the envelope in the studio, and it's their psychedelic period, especially the material they made in 1966 to 67. When everybody else started to do psychedelic recordings, the Beatles, as and usual, moved on. Moved on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 